Good morning, Vancouver. 6.01 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Sportsnet 650 studios, the Kintech studios here in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. We once again have been temporary, di- temporarily displaced. Uh, we are in a new studio within the studios, but regardless... We're very excited to be here today as I say good morning to Jason. Good morning, Jason Bruff. Good morning. This is this is the mic that that makes me sound real good. Now you're going to talk like this. Yeah. How about that Mariners game yesterday? They really blew it. Before we talk about the Mariners, we need to say good morning to our other good friend. He's back in the studio. It's Andy Cole, a.k.a. the A-Dog. Good morning, A-Dog. Good morning. Uh, Laddie, not in studio today. He'll be back tomorrow. We have a lot to get into today. Before we do any of that, I need to tell you two things. One, Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. One, two, three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. We also need to tell you about these beautiful studios, the Kintech Footwear Studios. Wow, the the Kintech Temporary Studios, uh, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Friendly reminder, if you want to get a hold of us on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, you can do so courtesy the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket 650 650 if you're hearing some audio issues we will get them sorted we are in a new studio we are on new microphones but we are working diligently to make sure my mic is less hot and less echoey all right the show today jason the day is upon us my friend we have spent the better part of four four and a half five months waiting for the canucks season to begin and it begins officially tonight seven o'clock In Edmonton, the Canucks begin the 2022-2023 regular season. And I personally cannot wait to see all the new players on the fourth line and the third pairing. (laughs) (laughs) It is going to be weird, though, right? Because Mikheyev is not probably not going to play tonight. No. So, uh, you know, I forgot about Kuzmenko. Sorry, A-Dog. He will be there. Um, Most of the same players from last season, a a few changes. I I know there's been some arguments about, like, how much did the Canucks really change? And some people will say, well, barely at all. And others will will say, like, look, there's seven new faces. There was dramatic change. Uh, All the players on the fourth line will be new tonight. There's a new player, again, on the third pair. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Kuzmenko. And Kuzmenko. So our guests today, not surprisingly, we're going to go hockey-heavy, hockey-centric. Uh, beginning at 6.30 with David Amber. Yes, the same guy that was hosting the opening night of North American Play last night for Sportsnet. Uh, we'll talk to David about all the games this evening because we've got a really tasty, tantalizing doubleheader, an all-Canadian doubleheader. We've got the Leafs and the Habs, again, all on Sportsnet, across the Sportsnet family of channels, followed by the Canucks, and the Oilers. 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock starts there. David Amber at 6.30. 7.30, getting the Oilers side of thing, heading into the season. Tyler Uremchuk from Oilers Nation and from Daily Faceoff. He's going to join us to talk about the opponent tonight, the lofty expectations for the Oilers. I saw several national outlets having the Oilers advance to the Stanley Cup final out of the West. I saw a couple even picking the Oilers to win the Stanley Cup, so we'll talk to Tyler about that at 7.30. And then at 8, our Wednesday regular for the Vancouver Canucks, Dan Murphy from Sportsnet is going to join us. Ahead of this game, we will talk about this team that kind of looks familiar but also has a lot of new faces. 
that's got some guys that we're familiar with, so some guys that we're not, what the expectations are for tonight from the Canucks side of things. We will also talk about Rip the Dog. Yes. I think Murph met Rip the Dog, the the uh is it is it it's a it's a guide dog in training. Yes, uh for a the Canucks. service dog if he passes all of his exams. Right, if he if he really studies hard yep. and doesn't party too much, gotta buckle and, down. Don't and, put on the freshman fifteen. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Actually, all right. Looking forward to talking to Murph. So Murph at eight, Tyler Yaremchuk at seven thirty, David Amber at six thirty. I mentioned the Canucks regular season begins tonight, seven o'clock in Edmonton. Other games of note: we mentioned Leafs, Habs, the Blue Jackets take on the Canes, Boston and Washington, Chicago, Colorado, and our neighbors, the I five rivalry to the south, uh, the Seattle Kraken take on. The Anaheim Ducks. Major League Baseball playoffs. The American League gets a day off today. The NL is back in action. Philly and Atlanta get back at it after the Phillies took game one. You got San Diego and Los Angeles after the Doyers took game one last night as well. You've also got Champions League action this afternoon. As if there isn't enough sports on the ledger. Ajax and Napoli, Liverpool and Rangers, Inter and Barca. It is a big sports day. It was a big sports day yesterday as well. Without further ado, let's tell everybody what happened hey did you guys see the game last night no what happened i missed all the action because i was we know how busy your life can be what happened you missed that what happened now jason i understand that the nhl campaign opened yesterday in north america with two very good games very very good games and the canucks are playing tonight so under any other circumstance i'd say we have to start with hockey but we can't. No, we're we starting with the cannot. Mariners. We we're simply st- cannot. We're, we're starting with the Mariners, and and, and I need to uh, offer an apology to all the hardcore Mariners fans out there. Guys, I, I did it again. This one's on me. It's it's not on Robbie Ray. It's not on Scott Service. Uh, the Mariners jumped out to a 7-2 lead um, over the Houston Astros and they got to Justin Verlander and I've obviously jumped onto the bandwagon and this, this is where it fell apart. They had that seven, two lead. And I started texting my buddies in a chat and I said, guys, if the Mariners advance, because I know we can't make it this weekend, guys, if the Mariners if it advance, we got to go down to Seattle for a game. That was so, it. so I was planning, I was, I was like, okay, well they got game one in the bag. You know, um, maybe maybe they can maybe they can pull off this upset here because I mean again they've dot they've they're definitely going to take a one nothing lead mm-hmm. in Houston. They've stolen this, so I was already planning trips, fully on the bandwagon. That's on me because you tell the listeners what happened next. Well, your your enthusiasm and excitement was not misplaced. The, Everything that you said up to that point was was accurate, and yeah. fair, and right. The bruff, dran- the, the, the bruff jinx, when I t- made that text, I was actually, am I jinxing this? It but is. I thought, nah, 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 7-2 lead. So it lasted for a good long while, your enthusiasm and optimism, right up until the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs on the scoreboard. And that's when everything fell apart for the Seattle Mariners. I'm going to walk you through it in case you didn't see it, and then we're going to play the audio when I'm done talking. Two outs, bottom of the ninth. Scott Service, the aforementioned Mariners manager, decides that out of nowhere, nowhere, he's going to close this game with Robbie Ray. 
the defending Cy Young Award winner that Seattle signed in the offseason, a starter through and through, virtually no closing experience whatsoever, comes in to face Jordan Alvarez with two outs and the Astros down seven to five. Two runners on, so you do the math. All Alvarez needs to do is go yard to complete one of the more improbable comebacks in baseball history, and he did it. This is what it sounded like when Alvarez went yard and won game one for the Astros. In to try to close it on a Tuesday. Alvarez launches deep right field, and this one is gone, and the Astros walk him off in game one. Jordan Alvarez, are you kidding me? The obvious question, Jason, is why? Why would Scott Service do such a thing? Why would he bring in a guy with, again, virtually no closing experience, put him in a rare relief role in that particular moment to go up against, and by the way, Jordan Alvarez is a gigantic human being. He's six foot five. He's 225 pounds. He has home run power almost every time he swings the bat. And Robbie Ray served up what I think you classified as a 93-mile-an-hour meatball right down the pipe. Boom. Ball game. And I got to wonder if the – I know it's the first game. I know there's a lot of baseball to be played. But I got to wonder if the Mariners are done after that. The the quote from Robbie Ray was, uh, I was just trying to get the sinker on him. (laughs) It just didn't get there. Uh, No, it didn't, Robbie. No, it didn't. That was one – Heck of a meatball, as mentioned, to uh, to serve up. And I just don't get why he was put in that position. Um, he was not pitching all that well. Um, the Jays fans will know that. Um, he had just been hit pretty hard Saturday in Toronto. Um, he's a starter. He's not used to coming out of the bullpen, let alone in that type of situation. You know, I, I, I honestly, I, I know, like, lefty-lefty was playing the percentages, right? Like, that's what good baseball managers do. We played that clip yesterday. As soon as I saw him warming up in the bullpen, I'm like, okay, that'll be interesting to use him in that situation. Like, the, uh, there's a reason he's in the bullpen, right? Isn't there? Like, he wasn't pitching that well. He did not do well, obviously, in the second game against the Jays. And prior to that, through the stretch down the final few weeks of the regular season, he was getting hit hard as well. He was serving up a lot of home runs. Why, the issue. why put him in a situation where, you know how it's, actually Scott Service actually kind of mentioned this. It was funny. In his, in his postgame address, address he, he was talking about the Mariners getting to Justin Verlander, and he was talking about how sometimes with starters, good starters – their most vulnerable moments come early in the game, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's when they're most, most so, so and, and then at the same time, he's defending putting Robbie Ray into a position where the first batter he faces is easily the most important. So let's hear from the Mariners manager now, Scott Service. This is after putting Robbie Ray in for just the seventh, seventh, career relief appearance. Uh, This is the Mariners manager, Scott Service, on the decision to put Ray in and ultimately losing game one. Uh, Something, you know, going into the series where we were at, um, you know, looking at, you know, our rotation and where we're going to head and, you know, talking with Robbie about, you know, using him out of the bullpen as a bullet, so to speak. 
um, for that type of scenario. Um, you know, bringing in the lefty uh, against Alvarez, although, you know, Alvarez is uh, one of the better hitters in the league. But, uh, you know, we talked about it coming into the series. We talked about it uh, pregame today. And I looked at it in the seventh inning and said, hey, this could happen. And um, so well, that was the plan going in. End of the day, you know, you have a plan. You still got to, we got to execute it. And, um, you know, got to give them credit. Tip my hat. It's not easy to walk up there and do what he did today. But he's one of the best hitters in the league, and he showed it today. So it wasn't only Robbie Ray that allowed the Astros to get back into that game. It was Robbie you know, Ray on that pitch. It was Robbie Ray on that pitch. I realize it was. Okay? Yeah, I saw it. But they had a 7-2 lead. Munoz gives, gives up a two-run home run. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't just him. But that decision is the one that everyone will be talking about. And the reason is, is that it was 7-2 to two against Justin Verlander. Yep. The 10 hits and six runs allowed by Verlander were career highs in the postseason. This guy is 39 years old, pitched a lot of postseason baseball. So you want to talk about the rarity of the situation. You get a moment against Verlander that you're probably not going to get again. To be perfectly honest, there's a good chance that that's the worst start he has this postseason. Furthermore, that home run by Alvarez is now in the conversation with Kirk Gibson in terms of walk-off <laughs> home run. It is. They are the, I believe it's the second walk-off home run in postseason history by a team down to its final out. Because remember, when Gibby went yard in 88, they were down to their final out. The crazy part is, this was even more improbable than the Gibson home run because the Astros were down multiple runs. The Dodgers were only down one in that game. So you have, I'd say, three fairly historical moments all occurring in the first game, which leads me to believe that the Mariners are going to have a hell of a time winning this series now because, as you mentioned in the notes, they got to now win three or four against a very good Astros team. Well, they're going to need to win t- tomorrow. And the good news is that they got Louis Castillo on the hill, and he was brilliant Friday against the Jays. Uh, as Blue Jays fans will know. So so that's the good news. They've got Castillo starting game two. They got to win that one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't even, I, I, I think what you said earlier in the show, I would agree with that. I think they've blown their best opportunity to, to upset the Astros. The Astros are so good. Mm-hmm. They're just a really good team. And you've got them down 7-2 in a game. You got to win that game. Obvious, right? This isn't, this isn't hot take stuff, right? It's just, it, uh, frankly, I, it was, you know, I'm, I'm, only new to the Mariners bandwagon, <laughs> but that was a gut punch, man. I can't even imagine what it was like for hardcore Mariners fans that have been waiting for playoff baseball excitement and felt all the good feels uh, in games one and two against the Jays, especially games two, sitting there going, you know, I, I know what they're thinking because I've kind of been through this myself. They're thinking after game two, hey guys, are we a team of destiny? And then you go into Houston, and it's a best of five, it's a best of five, right? Like you only have to win three games, and you're sitting there going, "Wait a minute, like we're gonna we're gonna okay, we're gonna win game one because look, we're feeling it. We're up against Justin Verlander, and we're hitting this guy. Mm-hmm. The guy's probably gonna win the Cy Young. Now we've got like all we need to do is steal one game in Houston. That was the steal. And, game and, one. And that was, was the steal. that was the, that was the game, and we're gonna have two games. Back home, back to back this weekend. The crowd's going to be going crazy. We might pull this off. We might go to the ALCS. Like, I know what the thinking was. And then that gut punch happens. So, hey, you know what? Welcome back to the postseason, Mariners fans. You've had some highs, and now you've had a real low. 
I'll be very curious to see how the team does on Thursday. Um, listen, I'm not saying they're absolutely done if they lose tomorrow, but winning three in a row against the Houston Astros is really tough. This also, is a team that has been to, is it five straight league championship series? Yeah, they're built for this. I hate you. This is what they do. Trite cliche. Like you, you can hate them, but this is what they do. Uh, I'd also throw in at the end that uh, on the long laundry list of bummers for Mariners fans yesterday, just wasted an all-world performance from J-Rod. Julio Rodriguez was lights out at the plate, especially in the early parts of that, that game. Uh, a double and a triple. He becomes the youngest player in American League history to do that in the playoffs since Lou Gehrig in, when he was 24 years old. So you're talking about, again... I, I'm, the reason I'm throwing out all this historical nonsense is because I, I want everyone to get a grasp of the scope of how improbable everything that happened yesterday was and then what a gut punch it is from Seattle to have all these things go your way and then conspire against you. Real quick, other MLB playoff stuff yesterday. We'll bang through this. The Yankees took care of their opener 4-1 over Cleveland. Uh, Cole was good. Uh, Bader and Rizzo went yard there. Nick Castellanos led the Phillies to a 7-6 win over the Braves. They're back in action today. In the nightcap, the one that I watched the closest because I had the time to do it, Trey Turner homered and had a double. The Dodgers scored five runs in the first three innings and then did not get another hit after that, but it did not matter. They beat the Padres 5-3, so they are now up one nothing in their series as well. Wait, can we talk about Josh Donaldson? Um, I don't know what was going on there. What, I mean, what, I know what, what is, was going on there, uh, but... God, I feel like such an old man. You know what? I got to stop saying I feel like such an old man. I'm just going to say, I am such an old man, but yes. when I see guys not running out the ball... like, mm-hmm. like Not the first like, time how, he's how pimped it, a non-home how this, run. How has this happened in the majors multiple times in the last little while that I, even I've been paying attention to, right? Mm-hmm. With Vladdy not... Oh, I think it's a home run. Oh, no, it's not. And then you get... And you get thrown out, and the same thing happens to Josh Donaldson. Like Josh Donaldson is a is a veteran. He's done. He's, a, he's, and, and and you know, like people are like, "Well, that he's a young player." Like you learn this stuff. Well, here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say just to explain it because I I don't. Jordan Alvarez can afford to look at the ball he because he hit run. it eight hundred feet. There was no way that was not going to be a home run. So in the fifth. Yesterday, game one, ALDS, Guardians, Yankees. Donaldson's at the dish for the Yankees. He takes a pitch from Cal Quantrill, son of Paul Quantrill. Uh, and he hits it short porch and right in Yankee Stadium, right? So everyone's assuming this is out. It's a home run. So he goes into his home run trot, starts gingerly jogging around first base. The only problem is that the ball hit the top of the wall and came back into play. He thought that it went over the wall and ricocheted off a fan or the wall and came back in. He was then clearly... Clearly confused as to what was going on. Caught in a rundown. Tagged out at first. That's it. The crazy part is that this has happened to Donaldson already this year. Way back in, I think it was on Labor Day, he did it against the Twins where he thought he had gone yard and was thrown out. Just run hard. You won't look foolish. Nah, I just wanted to pimp it. But anyway, that was actually, that was one of the more interesting takeaways from the Yankees game because that one of all the games probably had the least amount of drama down the stretch, although the Padres never really challenged after the sixth inning against the Dodgers. <laughs> Can we just talk a little bit more about how hard Alvarez hit that ball? <laughs> he's a real monster. He's a big dude. I mean, I'm sorry, Mariners fans that like that are laughing. I, I, I was obviously cheering for the Mariners and I, and I felt that, but he 
rocked that. Yep, there like, was, a, there was, was a no doubter. And then, and then you watch the uh, the slow motion replay of where that pitch was located, <laughs> and I I laughed. It's, it's like I tried to make it sink. But it, it didn't get there. It did not sink. It did not get there. No kidding. The Robbie. only time it sunk no was when it was over the wall, and it was well over the wall. Yeah. I think. I think there was some stat that it was uh, the fourth hardest hit baseball in postseason history, or something like that. Well, I mean, they, they showed. I don't the know cell- what the exit velocity velocity was, but uh, if it was on the right trajectory, it would be on the moon in two days. Yeah, like they showed the celebration and the way that he pimped it in his bat flip, very reminiscent to the Jose Bautista, the, the infamous bat flip from seven years ago, because it, there, that's, that's the dictionary textbook definition of a, of a no-doubter. As soon as that thing was hit, everyone's like, ball game, <sighs> that's done. And it was a gut punch for everybody involved. Okay, hockey, hockey, hockey. We need to do hockey. We will switch gears. Let's, um, you know. Oh, we're, switched we're, gears. You haven't, you haven't done haven't that for a while. I haven't switched. I haven't you're a little rattled this morning because you're getting a lot of text into the text inbox that says your mic has an echo. Uh, I am not rattled. I think I'm very smooth this morning. My transitions have been flawless. Uh, and I can't really do much about the microphone. No, well, yeah, that's that, that's true, actually. You, yeah. you can't do anything actually about the microphone. I actually had to check the Dunbar Lumber text message in back. Halford, your mic has an echo. Sounds like you're down a well. Uh, where yeah, are you guys recording from? Our love down the well. <laughs> where are you guys recording from today? It sounds so echoey. Echo, echo, echo. Hockey, uh, hockey, yeah, hockey. hockey did start. The Rangers looked really good mm-hmm. against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And this is where we do our overreaction. Is this it for the Tampa Bay Lightning <laughs> dynasty? <laughs> Just remember, I believe they started their season last year with a 6-2 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, traditionally, John Cooper's teams have been really good in game one of the season. Mm-hmm. I think the Rangers were just really ready to roll last night. Uh, yeah. Zabanajad was amazing. Him and Panarin together are, are just a, a really good duo. They got the goaltending in Shesterkin. They were at MSG. MSG was hopping. Um, really good performance. It would have been a fun night to be in New York last night. Yankees game at Yankee Stadium, and then the Rangers opener at MSG. I was thinking about that on the ride in this morning. Yeah, it's, have you ever have you ever noticed how New York has a lot of stuff going on in it? Crazy. It's, it's like crazy. a city that never sleeps. It's like a big city or something like that. They call it the Big Apple. Did you know that? They call <laughs> it the Big Apple. So the Rangers uh, look good in their win over the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are you know obviously done. They'll probably have to rebuild uh, this offseason. Um, the Golden Knights also looked pretty good, I thought against the LA Kings. It was a close game, went right down to the end. I had gone to bed by uh, the third period, so Halford, you tell me what happened. Well, Mark Stone scored the winner with 24.9 seconds left in regulation. When it looked like it was going to go to overtime, Golden Knights 4-3 win over the Kings at Crypto.com Arena. Uh, I will mention that although the scoreline suggests that the game was fairly tight, Vegas looked Real good and at times real dominant against yeah. the Kings. 51 shots on Jonathan Quick. He finished with 47 saves. Logan Thompson in net kind of did enough. He let in three goals, but his team gave him four runs of support. So it looked like the recipe that you might see for, throughout this season. Stone looked really good and looked energetic. Um, Eichel was good for them as well. William Carlson was good. Phil Kessel was out there. As soon as I turned on the game back, from, I was watching Dodgers Padres. He took a very bad slashing penalty. A needless slashing penalty on the hands for 150 feet away from his net. Phil Kessel did? Yeah, but at least he was trying. Right. And also, 
The teams looked disgusting in their uniforms yesterday. Yeah, I fully agree with you, and we're going to get pushbacks uh, probably from millennials who like, uh, you know, the chrome helmets. Don't the, don't the Golden Knights have chrome helmets, too? They didn't wear those What's last night. What's worse, the chrome helmets or the mustard uniforms? Well, on TV last night, I mean, I'm kind of used to the chrome helmets. Um, those Vegas jerseys, are they are they new? Is that a no, new color? No, they've been around. I'm surprised that they opened in them because they're gross. Is that their third jersey or yeah. something like that? They, they're, 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 they're just they're not disgusting. good. I was like, are the Kings playing the Preds? They're like man. They're like pale Predator. And yet, they're not as bright as the Predators, but they're still that kind of like off pukey mustard kind of feel. And yet the thing is, uh, is you're going to get so much pushback from people that love the chrome helmets. And they'll call us like old, stodgy. You don't want to have any fun. I want to have fun. That's not fun. They just don't That's look. That's silly. It looks ridiculous. They just don't look good. There's nothing like ageist about this. They just look bad. They look like they're dressed up for Halloween. Yeah. Really with white gloves and with chrome helmets. It does not look good. Like, I don't care if it's new or different or trying something exciting. That's great. I'm all for trying new looks. That one just doesn't work. That's my old man take for the morning. Uh, we got a lot more to get into on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. It is crazy that it's the start of the Canucks season. It's 6.26 a.m. and we barely talked about the And what's Canucks. with millennials not wanting to work anymore? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk to David Amber from Sportsnet next. He was the host last night for opening night, Rangers, Bolts, and then Golden Knights and Kings. We'll talk to him about the big slate ahead tonight. It begins with Leafs and Habs in the first of the doubleheader. And then your Vancouver Canucks in Edmonton to take on the Oilers. David Amber is coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Six thirty-three on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. You may have noticed that we sound somewhat different today. No, it's not just because the show is worse than usual. It's because we're operating from a different studio within the Kintec Studios here in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Uh, if my microphone does sound echoey. Rest assured, I am trying to do everything I can to prevent that. I could not be any closer physically to this microphone than I am right now. I think it might be an echo related to my mic. I feel There's like I'm invading on yeah. this inanimate object's personal space. Mm-hmm. And I'm really close to it. Someone suggested that you and I share a microphone like doo-wop singers. I'm not sharing this microphone. Listen to how good it makes me sound. <laughs> uh, so in case you listened to the first hour of the program and you were like, where is all the Canucks? Don't worry. 7 o'clock, we are going to do a full half-hour preview of tonight's Canucks-Oilers game. 7 o'clock from Rogers Place in Edmonton. The hockey conversation is going to continue throughout the better part of this show. As a matter of fact, it's going to continue right now. Joining us now, you saw him on the tube last night, Sportsnet's David Amber here on the Halford & Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? Hey, fellas. You guys sound good, by the way. I don't hear an echo at all. You sound pretty clear to me. Perfect. I think we did, we made some adjustments at halftime there. 
Uh, again, I am literally eating the microphone right now, which is what I've been told <laughs> to do. So we'll see how this goes for the remainder of the half hour. Um, I know last night, David, there was two games for us to feast on as the NHL opened in North America. But I do want to start with the biggest news of the day, and that was that Hockey Canada made significant leadership changes yesterday. Uh, CEO Scott Smith stepped down. The entire board of directors stepped down as well. Uh, I know that you and Fried were on the panel talking about this yesterday. Uh, I just want to ask you a two-part question here. One, why did it take so long for Hockey Canada to overhaul this leadership team? And two, how much damage do you think was done by waiting as long as they did to make these changes? Those are great questions. Uh, it's so hard to put a finger on why it took so long. Uh, a lack of understanding of, of the nerve that they touched across Canada. You know, maybe there was a level of arrogance there, like, oh, no, no, we know what we're doing. We can, you know, handle the situation. Uh, you know, the level of damage it caused it, it, at this point looks like an irreparable amount. I mean, the, the level of trust has gone so low right now. Uh, the confidence level, you know, when you talk to families, you know, again, my son plays minor hockey here in Toronto, and and it touched a lot of different people, just the depth of the lack of transparency and the mishandling of, of, of these significant issues. And then the sort of uh, denial seems like the, the wrong word, but it, 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 maybe it is the right word. They kind of were in such denial that there was a level of accountability that was expected to be met. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know why it took so long. And it literally took essentially every major sponsor dropping out their funding and their partnerships for them to realize, like, uh-oh, what are we left with here? Like, we're not going to be able to run our business at this point. So um, it's sad that it took that long. And it, it is going to you know, have to be sort of from the ground up that they rebuild this, uh, this institution. And, and it's such a sacred institution and such a sacred game to this country that uh, it, it's going to take a long, long time, I imagine, to address and fully repair the damage that's been done. Yeah, because those sponsors aren't going to come running back just because you've had mass resignations. Um, I mean, what what do you think? Not to focus too much on the sponsors and all that sort of thing, but uh, you know, I think the sponsors will come back when when the organization is 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 healthy. What do you think everyone wants to see from Hockey Canada now? Because it can't just be like we've hired some new people. There there has to be some some semblance of an action plan, I imagine. Yeah, I, you know what? They're going to have to get a committee involved. They're going to have to try and find the best candidates they can and, and go from there. And it's, uh, and it's not going to be easy. Uh, again, they're walking into an inferno right now, and they're going to have to just cool it down as best they can and as quickly as possible. I, you know, that, that's a great question. And I was wondering, I was talking to a friend who's in the hockey community, and I sort of, and I sort of said, hey, would this be a job you're interested in? This is a pretty person who's quite involved in, in hockey and he flat out said no i wouldn't go near there with a 10-foot pole so i'm not even sure you're going to get the best candidates necessarily simply because you're walking into such a difficult situation so uh, it's going to take some time um i think yesterday was a meaningful first step towards you know if you want to call it the healing process i don't even know if that's the right way to term it but at least it was the first meaningful step towards okay change is needed uh mistakes you know egregious mistakes have taken place we need to address those we need to have transparency 
Um, you know, this story isn't going to go away. There's, uh, you know, pending investigations that still need to be played out. And I think those are the next, you know, big items that are going to be addressed here. But right now, um, there, there's just a big, big void in, in Hockey Canada that needs to be filled. We're speaking to you, Sportsnet's David Amber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, David, let's talk about last night's action. Uh, the first game in North America was the Rangers and the Bolts. Rangers get revenge for their loss in last year's Eastern Conference Final. They win 3-1. Now, I don't want to be too overreactive. It's one game into an 82-game season. But I'll say this. Biggest difference for me with this Rangers team, and I wonder if this is going to be the story moving forward, is that they're not as reliant, or at least last night, not as reliant on Igor Shesterkin as they had previously. Usually, it was, okay, we'll give up 45 shots, but Igor will save the majority of them. They actually outshot the Bolts by a fairly decent margin last night. I think it was 39 on Andre Vasilevsky. They looked like they were just in control of that game last night. They're a good, deep team. And maybe the biggest difference between this version of the Rangers in last year's is last year's version for many of them it was their first sort of dipping their toe into meaningful playoff hockey and the fact that they were able to survive those two series you know seven game grueling series and then get all the way to a sixth game against you know you know the, the Tampa Bay Lightning this juggernaut going for a three-peat they probably are entering this season in a much different lens through a much different lens than they were last year whether it's their confidence the expectations and a year of maturity and Yes, they have some, some veteran players, the Panarins, the, the Binajads, you know, the Trubas, but they also still have a whole bunch of young players. That whole, the, you know, the kid line with, with Hedl and Lafreniere and Kako, and you think about Fox is still a very young player, uh, Keandre Miller. So this young nucleus had a chance to really grow exponentially. And let's face facts, Gerard Gallant, this is his resume. His, his resume has been, he seems to really get the most out of good young players. We saw that in Vegas. When he took them to the Stanley Cup final in his first year there, we saw that last year in his first year with the, the New York Rangers, what he was able to accomplish. And I, I think they've got sort of uh, swagger is probably the wrong word, but I think they're going into this season feeling like, you know what, we're, we have you know, arguably the best goalie in the world. We have a bunch of stud players in front of them, and this could be our year. And, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't want to you know, sit here and, and pound my chest over this if this, if this happens, I'll be pretty, you know, interested, though, is, you know, I said New York, I'm picking them to, to win the Stanley Cup final. And, and that, you know, I was kind of going off the, the grid a little bit, but I just feel that they have the right elements right now in place, that they could seriously be a, a strong contender uh, at the end of the season. Uh, the other game last night, of course, it was the Golden Knights with a late goal from Mark Stone, 24.9 seconds left. They get a 4-3 win. So that brings us in to tonight's action, and we get the Canadian matchups doubleheader on Sportsnet. We begin with the Leafs and the Habs, a classic rivalry. Two teams in very different positions in terms of their evolution. Uh, I'm fascinated here to see, I mean, the Leafs story is obviously one. Are we going to have enough players? Are we going to play? We're going to have a guy down short on our roster. Will John Tavares play? From the Montreal side of things, I know that they're young and they're excited and they're energetic, but if you look at that blue line and you look at the goaltending situation, you do wonder how many goals against this team is going to surrender this year. Yeah, two teams in totally different situations, as you mentioned. I mean, Montreal could very well be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes at the end of the year, and they know, they recognize, I think, their situation, that they're, they're building, they have some good foundational pieces. You know, some of these players in Montreal aren't going to be here at the end of the year. You know that. They're still building towards something bigger than their current, uh, their current group. 
Toronto, it's the same script that we've, you know, been saying each and every year for the last handful of years. It's just a year they can have a breakthrough. It's just a year, you know, they can get, you know, past the first round of the playoffs and have a meaningful run in the postseason. And there's a lot of pressure on them. And it's going to be very interesting. The, the, the storyline in Toronto is this massive storyline of goaltending. You know, are we going to see the Pittsburgh Penguins two-time Stanley Cup champion, Matt Murray? Or are we going to see the guy who's had a, a goals against the bump three, a save percentage below nine, and has been injured for much of the last three years? So that's the question mark. And Kyle Dubas and the Leafs management have sort of hung their hat on between Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. They have two guys who have shown in the past they could be very good. Um, but haven't had a, a very good recent track record that these guys could refine themselves, push each other, and become that one-two tandem uh, that's serviceable because they have a very you know potent offensive attack still. I mean, one big question mark around the Leafs is, is Austin Matthews going to score 60 goals yeah. again? And I thought going to Stu and Elliot about that. And, you know, it's funny we're talking about that, but that's a very realistic goal. Like, that, that isn't an unrealistic target. He did that in 73 games, guys. So... You know, if he could stay healthy, you know, we could be looking at a 60-65 goal season from, from Austin Matthews. So there's some great storylines going into that matchup tonight. But clearly, as you said, two teams really with different expectations this season. And the quest for 60 begins tonight. It's a doubleheader on Sportsnet. You got the Leafs and Habs first, followed by the Canucks and Oilers. Uh, obviously, season opener for both in Edmonton. David, thanks a lot for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the games tonight. Should be a lot of fun. We'll do this again next Wednesday. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, 6.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Uh, coverage starts. Carolyn Cameron and the gang. Uh, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. We're pumped in uh, a great doubleheader, and I can't wait to see the Canucks play tonight as well. Looking forward to it. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Take care. Uh, David Amber from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, speaking of Sportsnet, should we go through some of the things that Elliot Friedman wrote in his first published 32 Thoughts of the season because there was a fair amount of Canucks content in mm -hmm. that. Um, one of his first thoughts, I think it made it to number four. It was a top Ooh, five thought. Top five thought. Uh, he wrote a, a, a bit about Bo Horvat and his conclusion really was that, and here's the quote, an extension is what everyone wants. And he wondered if the Canucks will get a deal done a bit like they did with JT Miller and in the way and what he means by that is we're all sitting here going, yeah, the Canucks probably aren't going to sign JT Miller. Or what are they going to do here? We were still talking about trade possibilities for JT Miller. And then it seemed like the Canucks woke up one day and we were like, you know what? You know what we should do today? We should sign JT Miller. Just and I the holiday remember, weekend. Let's just get it done. Well, yeah. I, and I, and I remember after that, deal was done um jt miller's agent said you know i'd like to thank the canucks for stepping up which means they obviously sweetened their deal a little bit sweetened their offer to get jt miller signed and they did get jt miller signed now i'm not sure if this is going to happen with bo horvat with all due respect to elliot friedman you know his argument was is that the the best predictor of of the future is the past. So he thinks maybe the exact same thing is going to happen. Like at some point the Canucks will sit there and go, you know what? Enough of this. Yeah. We want to keep Bo Horvat. So, so let's get a deal done. Fair enough. That might happen. But Jim Rutherford also said 
after JT Miller was signed, and maybe this was posturing granted, he said, you know what? We feel a lot better now that we've got JT Miller signed, almost like there's less pressure on us to sign Bo Horvat. Because if you're Rutherford, you're sitting there going, we got our top two centers signed. Right. Right? Bo Horvat, he's a good third-line center, but he's still a third-line center. We got Petey, club control for a while, and JT Miller signed for a long, long time. So we got our centers done. And part of me wonders if the Canucks kind of want to slow play this situation, if only to protect against the possibility, I'm not predicting this, against the possibility of a slow start and just keep that bullet in the chamber that you're able to make a significant move to address the roster. I'm not talking about like, uh, you guys are <laughs> you guys are playing terrible. I'm going to punish you by trading away the captain. I'm talking about, hey, what if 20 games into the season, the Canucks defense looks really atrocious? Fair like enough. like it, it is, you know, oh my God, what are we going to do here? Injured, incompetent, yeah. lacking depth, lacking Anything. talent, all those it just, things. It just looks like, like a real problem. And all of a sudden, an opportunity presents itself where there's a defenseman out there. You've got Horvat as a chip, right? Right. So to add context to this conversation, I think it's important that we also play some audio because Fridge didn't just write a 32 Thoughts blog yesterday. He also did a 32 Thoughts podcast. So he's talking about it from the Horvat side of things with regards to compensation. Now, he has come out and said, a lot of Vancouver fans are complaining at me, me being Elliot Friedman, that we threw out the Sean Couturier comp in terms of 7 mil or whatever for his average annual value on a new deal. Here is Elliot Freeman on the 32 Thoughts podcast telling how Vancouver fans are nuts if they think Bo Horvat is going to sign for less than $7 million a year. Take it away, dog. One of the comparables there, I think, is Couturier. That it is Couturier, 7.75. And people are like, Bo Horvat should be in the sixes. No. And I said, like, are you guys nuts? Do you think that look at where contracts are going here for centers? Do you really think that you're going to get Horvat in the six millions? Come on. It's starting with seven at least, and we'll see where it goes. Now, I don't know that it's going to get to eight. I don't know that. But here's the thing I think he wants to stay there, I think they want him to stay. So here's the situation as we currently know it. If we're going to go on just the factual information as presented. We thought there was the potential to have one of those lines drawn in the sand, possibly from the Horvat camp. One of those, look, once the season starts, we're not doing contract negotiations anymore. The public declaration, right? right. The agent calls up Dolly Wall or Fridge or Frank Saravalli and puts it out there that, hey, Dolly Wall will repeat anything. That's the thing. <laughs> That's how you get your message out there. And Bo Horvat's agent says, for some reason, perpy, purple uh, monkey dishwater. Right, so, something gets lost in the translation. <laughs> but the general gist of it is that, hey, once the season starts, I want to focus on hockey, and that's all I want to do. And that is a time-honored tradition in the history of contract negotiations in all the big sports, mm -hmm. right? What's, there's that line that you can draw on a sand, which gives the players some leverage because then they think they're controlling the situation. Now, we've got this information from Fridge. I do not believe that he is just coming up with a $7 million comp out of the blue. I would suspect he probably knows something or other about where that number is coming from. 
So, based on that, you have a very, very intriguing dynamic going into this season. Because as you mentioned off the top, from a Canucks perspective, it could be viewed as, as you put it, like a bullet in the chamber. You've got this card to play. Horvat is uh, not signed to an extension yet. Going into the last year of his deal, you have depth at center, and you don't have a lot of other cards to play. Most people assume the abs are, are going to make a move at the trade deadline, maybe, for a second-line center. That's just one example of a team that could be looking for center depth during the season. Mm-hmm. Not even depth. Like, that's not a center depth. Horvat's a guy that could be a, a, a 2C on a good team, too. Right, especially if you've got a really good first line center, like say, I don't know, Nathan McKinnon. Right, I know they're going to try out Alex Newhook there. That's a big job for him. Yep, I mean, that, a new that, job that, for that, Newhook. Yeah, okay, that's trying to fill Nazem Kadri's shoes. Right. Yep, I get the perspective from both in in this situation, and typically, what we always say is if. One guy wants to stay on a team and the team wants to keep that player. Usually they find a way to get things done. In this situation, though, I'm just less certain about it for a number of reasons. You just kind of add up some reasons. Like, I don't know how they're going to come to a number that works for both teams. Because if I'm Bo Horvat, I'm sitting there going... Well, I'm not getting paid less than Brock Besser, and Brock Besser's cap hit is 6.7, right? Around there. Yep. I'm not getting paid less than Brock Besser. I think I've been a more important player than Brock Besser. Um, I'm going to look at comps around the league that take me into the the seven range. I mean, Frege says, I don't think it'll get into the eights. Well, neither do I. But the fact that he'd even throw that out there, right? And that's what JT Miller's cap hit is, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd say, if I'm Bo Horvath, I'd be like, I'd also take into account that I'm younger than JT Miller, right? So you're probably going to get more quality years out of me at this level than you are out of JT Miller, if only because JT Miller is a couple years older than me. I would also sit there and wonder, you guys say you want me on this team, but you seem to have prioritized other players around me. That's fair. You seem to have prioritized JT Miller over me. You signed Mikheyev. That takes away some uh, spending ability. Um, you know, I, I wonder, you know, you say you love me, but how much do you really love me? I think that's a very fair thing to throw out there. I think that it's probably reflective of some of what the camp is feeling because he was lower on the priority chart. I also do wonder... If this impasse, and I'll call it an impasse, if this impasse continues for a long period of time, I wonder how much more of those feelings could be intensified or where it gets to a point where it becomes ugly. Because remember, the ugliness can be wiped out with a stroke of a pen. It's Wednesday today. By Friday, they could have an extension done. This is how this club has done business with this offseason especially. Things just don't happen until they happen. Or what if the Canucks get off to a great start and they're 20 games in and Horvat's playing really well? He's got 20 goals in 20 games. Can you he's imagine? He's got 20 goals in 20 games, right? I could imagine we're getting what if off he to has a 40 hot... goals in 20 games. Man, he's going to get paid then. But I could also see that happen. But imagine the right shot defenseman you could get for him. It's true. But here's the thing all these possibilities are on the table. The overarching <laughs> theme of all of this is that 
Nobody has any idea how this is going to go, yeah. but everyone can see that there's eight different roads that it could go down. Mm. What happens if you wait till February or March with him going unsigned, and then you're in the trade deadline period, and then you've got last year's situation with JT Miller all over again? Those are all... Well, it's not last year's situation with JT Miller. It would be a completely new situation because JT Miller actually had this year under contract. Remember, this would be a situation more. But I think akin you get what to, I'm talking about, right? It would be a guy that would be the subject of trade rumors while you were still pushing oh, towards a playoff spot. Well, yeah, but I think it would be even more dire. Yeah, because he could walk and leave. That's another possibility we haven't even brought up yet. If you just play it out till the end of the year. Yeah. You know, so there are 18, 19 different ways that this could go. Probably not the ideal situation going into a season where so much is hinging on making the playoffs and unfinished business, but we'll see. Uh, we've got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Coming up on the other side of the break, Canucks, Oilers. Tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Place, we are going to preview the game. We will talk about what your line rushes are going to look like, what your D pairs are going to look like. At 7.30, we're going to figure out what the Oilers are going to look like. Tyler Uremchuk from Oilers Nation and Daily Faceoff is going to join us to preview the other side of tonight's game. And then at 8 o'clock, Dan Murphy's going to join us as we talk all connects leading up to tonight's game. A reminder, if you want to get a hold of us at the show or submit your What We Learns, the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket is 650-650. Get them in. Hashtag WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. We have two more hours to go. We're very excited. The Canucks season begins tonight. And you are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Skinner said the teachers will crack any minute purple monkey dishwasher. Well, we'll show him, especially for that purple monkey dishwasher remark. Yeah. Yeah.